Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, baby. Welcome to the Smart People Podcast. Sit back, grab a drink, tune in your brain. Ask not. What your country can do for you. This nation will rise up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Smart People Podcast. This is one of your hosts, Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. He's another host. Today we're going to talk to you about how to change anything, change things in your life that you believe need change and how to stick to your guns, actually make it happen. Oftentimes, I'd say the largest things that people like to change, they they try and diet, they go to the gym, they want to work out, they want to find work-life balance, things like this. And today's guest is going to tell you how to enact that change and actually make it happen. Today we'll be interviewing Carrie Patterson, the author of Change Anything, The New Science of Personal Success. Carrie is the co-founder of Vital Smarts, which is a corporate training and organizational performance company. And he also did his doctoral work in organizational behavior at Stanford University. I really like talking to Carrie. One of the things I found most interesting about what he had to say and his book is that most people attribute what they can and can't do to willpower. I know I'm like that. I'm pretty stubborn. If I, I feel like if I say, oh, I'm going to do this, it's just because I have all this willpower. And half the time, I don't end up doing it. And I just attribute that to, oh, you know, something better came up or whatever. Or laziness. I, yeah, or laziness. And never really look at the external forces. And he talks about those external forces. And like, for example, 
John, I know you and I, when we were living out in Arizona, we were really into working out, eating right, eating healthy. And I don't know about you, but I was probably in the best shape of my life. Oh, yeah. So was I. Completely you know? agree. And it was because when I would come home and I'd be like, dude, I'm lazy, I'm tired, I'm not lifting, you would, you know, call me a fat kid or something and motivate me to go. And I just think that those are, that's one of the things he talks about that's a motivational factor that you can change in your life. Get somebody on your team who's going to help you out. And I think we've all kind of seen those type of results. And he gives you more step-by-step -step ways to do it. And he talks about all those things in the book. And a little bit in the interview. I, I completely agree. And one of the other things that we mentioned in the interview is, you know, I had an iPhone app that counted the streak for how many days we went to the gym. Oh, yeah, I, I remember used, that. I used yeah. to remember looking at it every day being like, all right, we're at 14 days. We got to make, you know, we got to get 15 or we got to get 16, whatever it may be. Uh, but that definitely did help in the process as well. Yeah. And that's one of those things that he kind of alludes to is you document your progress or you make it publicly known which you said you did that on Facebook you know I'm, uh, you told everybody in the group what you're doing and then when you don't do it you you feel more like a failure than if nobody knows so these are all really good things that you can use to change anything from quitting smoking or like we said dietary changes there's so many things you could do and I'm sure if you evaluate your life everybody wants to change something small or large so this might help you out you know, so hopefully you can take a listen and, and make your life better through the process. Before we move on to the interview, I do have to say that another way to improve your life is using our Amazon widget on smartpeoplepodcast.com. Uh, that's can, fantastic. Yeah, you that's can go fantastic. on there. You can buy your vitamins. You know, there's different weightlifting apparatuses you can pick up on there. So if you're you know, trying to lose weight, you can pick up a scale on there to track it every single day. You can pick what up was anything. that? What was that total gym thing you have that does pull-ups and sit-ups or whatever? Uh, What's I that know, thing? The iron Gym, maybe? Yeah, you can pick up one of those on sale, actually, because I almost got one. Those are pretty good. Oh, they're so, great. So just use our Amazon widget, no cost to you. It's in the bottom left-hand corner of our website, which is smartpeoplepodcast.com. Go there, click on the Amazon icon. It'll give us a little kickback that Amazon pays for. We really appreciate it. Now enjoy the interview with Carrie Patterson. Carrie, first, I just wanted to give our listeners a little background on on you, uh, what it is that you do, and how it is you got to be, you know, a well-known author. Well, I, you know, I left Stanford University about 35 years ago, and I threw myself into organizations and trying to figure out, you know, what would it take to actually change these places. These are organizations typically that were sort of led by authoritarian leaders, uh, very unhealthy. Uh, began to study what it took to change behavior. Uh, began to write books about that. I wrote a book called Crucial Conversations, where we looked at how do you talk to people when stakes are high. And then eventually moved to the realm of self-help. What does it take to change yourself? Uh, we recently studied 5,000 people who had successfully changed something in their life, people who had struggled for years, uh, weight loss, spending addictions, um, bad habits at work, etc., uh, had found a way to wrestle those to the ground and had been successful for three to five years and said, what do they have in common? And we shared that in our book, Change Anything. The new book you have out is called Change Anything, The New Science of Personal Success. I was hoping you could give us a little insight into that and also tell us what you mean by the new science. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, what we mean by the new science 
is in addition to studying these 5,000 changes, we really we poured over 17,000 articles and looked at what the most contemporary scientific research revealed around personal change as well. Uh, there's a time in the behavioral sciences, frankly, when we were kind of like witchcraft and alchemy. A lot of the work done 50 years ago didn't really yield uh, much result. But as of late, there's been terrific studies by uh, a variety of uh, uh, people in a variety of locations who've really been able to, uh, to demonstrate change. For example, William Miller, who deals with addiction, rather than typical 3 to 6% you know, success rate, experiences in the 70 to 80% success. Uh, Mimi Silbert, who works with uh, people who've been to jail 17 times or more <laughs> felony convictions, uh, has a 91% success rate. And so uh, that, the new science looks at the, at the new research around that. Um, our first finding when it came to personal change, though, to answer your question more specifically, was that people uh, fell into what we call the will willpower trap. Uh, they thought if they just used enough willpower, they could overcome anything. You know, build me a house of cupcakes next to a lake of, uh, of hot fudge, and I can eat vegetables and low-fat you know, meat all day long because that's how strong I am. You know, that's just plain wrong. It turns out people can't. In a recent study, we found that people who used but one tactic, and if that tactic was willpower, uh, they mostly failed. In fact, if you used six or more tactics, and this was the big finding, you were 10 times more likely to succeed. If you can come up with six tactics of influencing your personal behavior, you're 10 times more likely to succeed than those who just try to gut it out. Wow. Yeah, and I saw, I, I looked through your book, and I, you know, saw those um, six different tactics. And I'll tell you, one thing that really stuck out to me was you said, off-the-shelf answers oftentimes won't solve our problems because they're unique things to us. And I like that because a lot of times, you know, I I like to think of new ideas and new business plans and, and I look to see, has it been done? And if so, was it successful? And what I find is it's almost always been done and then it's discouraging because you're like, well, it's already out there. Let's move on to the next thing. But what you're saying, and I'd like you to go more in depth is, you should stop looking at things that have already been done, like you say, off-the-shelf answers. Well, it turns out, um, as you study the people who had failed for a while and then found a way to succeed, they broke from the habit of sort of taking their friend's one best idea and trying it and said, you know what, I'm going to start with myself, and I'll be the scientist, and I'll be the subject. So the second principle is be the scientist and the subject that is you studying you. And so here's what you study. I, I in, the, in the process of writing this book, decided I needed to, you know, physician heal myself, and uh, I'm quite overweight. And so I, I said, I got to figure out how to, you know, lose weight, and what can I do to, you know, to study myself. I've subsequently lost 60 pounds on my way to losing 100. So it's wow. quite successful. Yeah. And so the first thing you look at is you look for what we call your crucial moments. One of the times of day that you suffer with your bad habit. It turns out most bad habits aren't a function of being tempted 24-7. They usually come down to a few crucial times during the day. Smokers when they're driving home from work, drinkers when they stop by at their friend's house. There are these crucial moments. And once you've identified the crucial moments, in my particular case, I, I mastered breakfast. You know, that was easy. Snack time was fine. Lunch, I was cool. Dinner, I was okay. Then came 8 o'clock in the evening, sitting down in the old Barca lounge reading, and that refrigerator is calling to me. And so I had to, yeah, I had to come up with a plan that suited my needs, and the first thing I had to deal with for me was 8 o'clock in the evening and snack time. Ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> it, just, it calls to me from the refrigerator, I swear. Yeah, you know, me too. You know, 
<laughs> and so, but the point I'm making here isn't that that's what you need to do in, certain, in terms of your diet. In fact, who knows, you know, first of all, whether you, whether you want to lose weight or at all, but whatever your change plan is, you have to study you and you start by looking at where are the points that I'm, you know, it's called positive and negative deviance. When am I successful? What did I do that time? When did I fail? When did I, you know, what did I do that time? I later found out when I went to a restaurant with friends, I was in trouble again. You know, I found out how to. I, I took I took some steps to manage that. I, I took steps to manage my eight o'clock in the evening. I used distance. Move the old Barca lounger down to the TV downstairs. In my case, moving you know 50 feet away from the refrigerator dropped my my evening consumption by about 80 percent. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so the physicality. Then I put my kitchen on a diet. What I mean by that was, uh, uh, you know, Brian Wansink, who's sort of the expert on eating habits and you know why we eat what we eat. Uh, suggested that, that we now eat on platter, on, on excuse me, on plates that are the size of our grandparents' platters, that can increase how much we eat by as much as 30%. So I changed, you know, the, the, my platters and uh, excuse me, my plates and bowls and spoons and etc. And, and sort of one by one, sort of step by step, I applied various techniques that I read about that made sense to me under my circumstances and the problem I was facing. I became the scientist. I became the subject, and I tailored the program to me. One of the things that you that you mentioned is the social motivation, and I've personally I found that groups on Facebook, different websites, anywhere that you can you know join a group to help accomplish a goal. Because I know I did like a little diet thing where I was trying to lose 15 pounds, and I ended up talking to a bunch of people on Facebook, and we were sharing pictures of what we were eating, recipes, and just kind of motivating each other on a day to day basis. And I've you know I found that to be a huge help with that. So what have you seen you know with these new websites and social media tools that helps you know during this I guess social motivation process? Let me first of all frame the social motivation within this is because it, it comprises two of the six sources that we refer to in our book. Um, I said su- I suggested if you use six or more methods, you're ten times more likely to change. The first method is deal with personal. That is, how do I change myself in terms of what I like and don't like, what I can and can't do. The second to deal with social, which is the one you're referring to. What motivates me socially, what enables me socially. And then the final one is dealing with the space around you, the physicality, what motivates and enables me. So now to answer your question of those two sources around how people help me, they're a profound source for most of us in both motivating and enabling us. We are social animals. Uh, and people can help us in a variety of ways. Uh, I, for example, got myself a personal coach. And I thought the personal coach would help me you know, learn how to lift weights, which was true. I didn't know how to do that very well. And I could hurt myself. But he started posting what, you know, what I was doing. You know, he had charts. He put them up on the wall. I'd walk into the place after I, and he'd weigh me in. I'd lost another three pounds. And he'd walk me out into the gym and, and announce to the and ring a bell and say, he's lost two more pounds. This guy became a real, a real force in my life and affected many of the various motivators and enablers that, that help you change. And so that's what happens with uh, the people around you. Some, some motivate, you know, they're cheerleaders. Others are models, and they inspire you by how they behave. Others teach you what to do. So you're suggesting they would send you recipes. You know, they play the, they play the role of a coach in the sense that they're giving you feedback on what works and what doesn't work. And, and what we found out we have to do, and particularly with serious addiction, addiction problems, uh, uh, drinking and drugs and the like, many people have to uh, transform people who are currently their friends but not acting like friends are acting like accomplices. And they have to take these accomplices, these people who encourage them to eat inappropriately or to, you know, to shoot up or to, or to, to smoke, and whatever they're trying to deal with, and, at, and sit down with them and say, I need you to move from being an accomplice to being a friend. 
you need to, I really need you to help me do the right things rather than do the wrong things. And that's a very important uh, skill set is transforming a, a, an accomplice into a friend. So all of this is part and parcel of this this whole social milieu you're referring to. We created a website called changeanything.com with one of the major purposes being helping people connect with other people who are facing the same problem. We will put a link to changeanything.com up on our website as well so our listeners can go check that out. Also, I wanted to ask you, and I know we've probably touched on it so far this interview, but you talk about invisible sources of influence, and I was hoping you could tell us what you mean by that and then give some examples of what those invisible sources sure. are so that we might be able to spot yeah. them in our own lives. Let me suggest how we sort of sort of stumbled on this. Uh, we were watching people as they were trying to change, and we thought, thought what if we manipulated uh, um, elements within their environment to get them to behave differently, brought some uh, research subjects into a room, had them earn money through simple games, and then gave them chances to either save or spend that money. We then manipulated posters on the wall, what people around them said, uh, the incentive system, the tools for which they could calculate how much they saved or spent. We manipulated all those into two conditions, one group of people to spend their money, one group to save their money, to see if we could actually get them to change. And it turns out the spenders spent like four times more than the savers did. It worked exactly like we thought. Then we asked the spenders, you know, well, gosh, what happened? You know, you, you, each of these, by the way, each of these groups vowed that they were going to set aside their money for something more important. That was part of our setup. And so we asked them, how come you spent all your money? And every one of them blamed willpower. They just said, ah, oh, I just didn't have enough moxie. And we asked the people who saved, why were you successful in saving? They gave credit to willpower. And they didn't see the other sources around them. They didn't recognize the, the peer pressure that was being exerted. They didn't see the, the effect of the posters. Uh, the tools that we provided, et cetera, they just were blind to them. Uh, it was, Wansink, in his, in, his, in his book on eating, it suggests that most of the things that are affecting our eating habits, as I suggested earlier, are er everything from the location of your chair to the size of your plates, uh, to uh, just eating with other people. You, 30%, you eat 30% more if you have three people with you. You eat like 60% more if you have five people with you. People don't recognize these sources and, and are greatly impacted by them. So what we try to do in the book is make them more visible. So they aren't blind and outnumbered. They become able to see the six sources of influence. And then instead of having them work against them, as I was suggesting, turning a, an accomplice into a friend, you can take those very forces and use them in your favor. I used distance that was working against me in my favor by moving the Barca lounge 50 feet away. One of the, you know, one of the parts of, of the book mentions how to change your career and how to get unstuck at work. I find it you know, more and more common that the people that I run into at my job and other friends that have different jobs feel like they're in a position where, you know, they're just not happy with their lives in terms of, of their career. What type of advice can you give, you know, first on how to notice these things and what those initial steps can be um, to become unstuck? So, you know, step number one is as you're suspicious that you're not getting the advances that you should be getting, the promotions, the job assignments, and perhaps they're just projects that certain people are getting you're not. You need to go directly to your supervisor and say, help me understand from my own career path you know, what I need to do differently, and then work with them on identifying specific behavioral uh, uh, behaviors that are at risk. And behaviors range everything from you know, uh, mood control. Sometimes you're not getting promoted because you're, you're angry at times. The, the three most common reasons people don't do well is because they don't do three things well. One, here's the three things everyone needs to do. So let me just start off with that. Uh, 
you need to be very proficient in what you've been hired to do. That's the obvious one. It's obvious it is. There are lots of people who are hired in writing ad copy who aren't all that good in writing ad copy or writing code, etc. And so the first issue is you have to ask yourself, am I crackerjack? Am I right on target when it comes to the skills I've been hired to do? The second issue, and this is a lot, lot less clear to people, but comes straight out of the, out of the career and success literature, you need to be adding to the elements of the organization that help solve its biggest problems. If you look at Jeff Pfeffer wrote work years ago, 30, 40 years ago, sort of, sort of talked about people helping an organization deal with their critical uncertainty. If, you can't, if sales are at risk and you can't get your sales number up, you better be part of the team who's improving sales numbers if you expect to be highly valued in the organization. Be part of those projects that are helping solve the company's biggest problems. Third area is you need to be seen as a team player. That is someone who's willing to pitch in and help out other friends, colleagues, and other employees willingly rather than being selfish and sticking to your own task. So you know, know, know your job, work on the critical uh, jobs within the company, and be a team player. Now, having said that, you still, you still are going to have to go back to your boss to identify other areas they may be at risk and start working on those as well. That was great advice. I'm, I'm really glad John asked that question because I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Um, I know you give some real-world examples in your book, and like you said, you kind of based the science off of uh, people who have made it work in the past. Were there any real-world stories about people who have made change that stuck out in your mind that, that you could share with us? I talked to the fellow and ended up flying him out here to the Mountain West where we live, a guy named Michael Vitalian, and he had you know, he had started off as a heavy drinker, shifted over to drugs. You know where the story is going. I mean, from drugs, it was like, how do I get money for drugs? And then he starts stealing, and he loses his family. He loses his job. He loses everything. He finds himself rock bottom, you know, in jail uh, in somewhere in Arizona and falls to his knees and says, you know, oh, Lord, you know, spare me, and then has this huge transformation. In his words, that was his defining moment, and everything worked from that point on. What was intriguing about him and actually another dozen people like him who I interviewed was every one of them attributed, and this is, goes back to the willpower trap, they attributed it to this moment where all of a sudden they gained this huge desire to change, and when they hit rock bottom and had this epiphany, they changed. And yet when you explored and followed up and said, well, gee, you know, Michael, tell me, you know, so you just never drank again? Well, he said, well, actually, when I got out of prison this time, my mother let me came, come live with her. My dad had passed away, and my dad wouldn't let me come home. So now I went home, and she introduced me to a guy next door who was a member of a 12-step program, and they started identifying each of these six sources we talk about, how they came to play and how they were able to then motivate and enable themselves in much more effective and proficient ways than before. Once again, they would give themselves credit by saying there was a moment at which I gained enough courage to gut it out and then described how they didn't gut it out. What they did was they changed their environment. This fellow, Michael Vitale, he had a transformation conversation with his friends and said, I can't drink with you anymore. And three of them said, tough, and he had to find new friends. And he joined a 12-step program. That was the friendship issue you referred to earlier. You know, he took, he took liquor out of his home. And just step by step by each of the six sources, he changed his life by bringing more sources of influence to bear. That's the only way he can do it. Great. Okay. And then this might go along with that and so if, if, if you don't have anything specific, that's fine. But do you have the number one or the, the biggest 
piece of advice you could give our listeners to to start off to make change? Is there something that is the the first trigger kind of? Well, I think I think that you know I'm actually going to I'm actually going because I've been telling you some things. You know, stop, study yourself, identify your crucial moments, and say, oh, that's what I need to identify. What you need to do, bring sources to bear to change those moments. I think the hardest part is when you fail. And, you know, people, and even the word fail is wrong. When you face a setback, you have to be prepared for setbacks. So, you know, um, you've taken off 10 or 15 pounds, you haven't smoked for three days, and then boom, you smoke, you eat, and it's like, ah. People who are unsuccessful use that information to inform them about themselves. They draw conclusions that they're a loser, and I can't do it. And, you know, they start off with, I'm, you know, I'm bad at, stopping smoking and then it's I'm bad at changing my life and then I'm just a bad person. Uh, they get discouraged. Uh, they don't try new efforts and they end up failing in lots of ways. You have to learn to turn uh, a bad day into good data. You have to learn to turn a bad day into good data. So rather than saying, oh, wow, I just fell off the wagon. I'm a horrible person. You have to say, what happened today? Gee, I was doing just fine. What were the circumstances? This is part of being the scientist in the subject. What are the circumstances that led me to doing the inappropriate behavior, and how do I fix it next time? And you take that bad day and you turn it into good data, you turn it into a new change plan, you adjust, and you move forward. Kerry, thanks so much for talking to us. I mean, this has been great for me, I'm sure for Chris as well. Our, our listeners, I'm sure, are going to really enjoy this. Your book, again, is Change Anything, The New Science of Personal Success. And did you have any other areas that you wanted to plug websites, you know, personal websites or any other books well, that are out there? You know, we, well, I'd stick with, we have several books, but let's stick with this one, Change Anything, the one that came out a couple of weeks ago. The website is changeanything.com. We'd be honored to have people give us a look, and I've been honored to be on your program today. Thanks for having me. All right, Kerry. Thank you so much. Okay. See you guys. Welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Kerry. Hopefully he provided some tools to help you make some changes in your life, whether those changes be big or small. You now have the ability to, to move forward doing so and making yourself a better person. Just wanted to remind you, check us out at www.smartpeoplepodcast.com as well on Twitter, Smart People Pod, and Facebook. We're on Smart People Podcast on there. Make sure you contact us, get in touch. We've got a bunch of books laying around that we want to give away. Just mention the free book contest. We'll send you something if we pick your name out. It's always fun getting a package in the mail. And also, we've been, getting, we've been getting emails and comments, you know, constructive criticism and, and what we do well. And we really enjoy that. You know, it, it shows us that you guys care and you want us to improve. And we're going to do our best to do so. So... We appreciate that. I also want to say we've been saying it for the past couple episodes, but next weekend, this this coming Saturday, is going to be a big episode for us. We interviewed Dr. Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Love Languages, which has sold 7 million copies worldwide. It's been translated into 40 languages. And I'll tell you right now, what he says will help you in relationships. If you're married, if you're single, if you're struggling, it will help you, I promise. We talk about how men find it hard to spend quality time and, and how women get mad at that and how you can fix that. That's just one of many, but it's one that I personally love. So make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Smart People Podcast, leave us a rating, help us out. It's been good spending this time with you. We look forward to this weekend, Saturday, July 2nd. Yeah, that's a wrap. Cool. <laughs>